Basically, what we find out by the end of this episode is, is that this whole world is really just like a gigantic holodeck, is basically what we're saying here. With all the uh, same uses and, uh, and, and bad things that can happen on a holodeck is basically what I feel like we're getting at the end of this one. Anyway, my name's Matt, coming at you from uh, Austin, Texas, as always. And the other half of the Brothers Trek About is my brother, Ken. Say hello, Ken. Peace and long life. There we go. Well, hey, uh, we are uh, doing shore leave this week. Funny story about this is we recorded this episode one time, and then it got lost. So here we are recording it again. Hope that's not too much behind the scenes, but there you go. That's the storyline. So we're going to go ahead and uh, jump right into this one. Uh, any overview you want to give on this one, Ken? Any like thoughts before we get into the specific stuff? So in an accident of casting, okay. the second episode basically in a row in which we get, uh, what's her name, Barbara Baldwin? Uh-huh. And so in this episode, she was written as Mary Teller. And in the previous episode, which is Balance of Terror, she's written as uh, Angela Martine. Mm -hmm. And so it's very clear that, that the other guy, because she gets, a, again, another kind of B-story love interest. So Esteban is refers to her as... as as Angela. So uh -huh. they thought, well, we're using the same actress twice in a row, even though she changes from uh, a gold shirt to a red shirt. So they give her the same name, but they don't change the last name. And I, I wonder to what extent they were torn by the idea of, well, she's the same actress and, you know, we should just, we'll make her a continuing character for like two episodes in a row, even if we never see her again. And then on the other hand, being like, Last time the audience saw her, her husband, you know, her fiance died. And in the very next episode, she's running around with this guy. <laughs> maybe she's not, maybe it's better she's not the same character. And like they never figured out which way to go with that. Right. They're sort of always uh, teetering on the edge of whether or not it's the same character or not. Well, plus, you know, they're also uh, fighting against the. Uh the idea of, you know, the episodic, of whether or not to be episodic or whether or not there should be some kind of continuity between all the episodes. Yeah. Which is uh, something we'll dig into a little bit more in this episode once we get there. But uh, let's uh, hit some of that behind the scenes stuff like we always do. The uh, Cushman Osborne book that I've been uh, reading and uh, highly suggesting all the time says about this episode that it gives the network exactly what Roddenberry had promised. A planet show... We land on a different planet where weird things happen with a lot of action and adventure going on. So, uh, but it was a hard road to get there. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, the basic idea for Shore Leave is, uh, was Gene Roddenberry. Uh, it was in his uh, an initial 1964 series proposal. Roddenberry had uh, handed the clever but vague concept off to Theodore Sturgeon, who at the time was 48, and he was a well-known science fiction legend. Uh, including his books called The Cosmic Rape and More, and More Than Human. The initial story uh, had very little Captain Kirk in it, which uh, Stan Robertson from NBC said, uh, nah, we need to change this. Uh, he wrote in a memo, this is not Captain Kirk's story, uh, nor a story that he has any kind of integ integral part in. As we have stressed and must continue to stress, we must involve our star in our dramas as much as possible. We've got to make him a living, breathing, important, identifiable person for the viewers. He's our Sandy Koufax. we got to build a pennant-winning team around him. So uh, interesting little baseball reference there we get from, uh, from good old Stan Robertson. 
Yep, and I, I always think that it's that kind of stuff that fuels the kind of unfortunate relationship that that Bill Shatner has with, you know, certainly the the B players. I think he probably always had a good yeah. relationship with Leonard Nimoy and and uh, DeForest, DeForest Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. yeah, but the the other actors all seem to kind of complain about his stealing lines or line counting or mm-hmm. and. I mean, it certainly, it just doesn't help when the producers are like, no, give us more of the, the star. We need more. Or NBC, yeah. in this case. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, how do you not, as as that actor go, it, it's, it's really all about me. I, I'm, the, I'm supposed to be everywhere yeah. and doing everything and having all the good lines because NBC says so. Plus, they were paying him enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't until, you know, I don't know. You know, there's like the late 70s. We get a lot of those ensemble shows. You know, we get like, uh, for some reason, all I can think of is what? Emergency, which, you know, has uh, a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a I was thinking more like, for some reason, the two in my head that I came up with were like Barney Miller and the Taxi. Love <laughs> the Love Boat, sure. You know, just like all of these like late 70s, early 80s shows where it's like, hey, we can have an episode that's not about Barney Miller. Barney right. Miller's got to be in the episode. But, you know. Um, but he, he can but have kinda, a good story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we're going to have the main story this week, you know, be about... Uh, Gopher's love interest or something on right. the love boat. Wojohowitz. I don't know. Yeah, Wojohowitz. There we go. Barney Miller. Um, so, you know, and then, of course, by the time we get to, like, 1988, you know, at that point, we've had some of those more ensemble shows. And, you know, when we get then the next generation, you know, or suddenly we have, hey, this week it's a Troy episode, and this week it's a it's a Jordy episode or a Tasha Yar episode. Well, although I guess she didn't really have a lot of episodes, yeah, which is part of the reason she yeah. left. Yeah. But, you know, um, but yeah, so it's interesting that, you know, we can look at the next generation as really like this idea of like, oh, well, if the original show could have been like that, we could have had a few more like Sulu Chekhov episodes or, or, or right. whatever. That woman's name just dropped out of my brain. Elizabeth Montgomery. Thank you. As the uh, star of Bewitched. And uh, she would even. So we're going to talk about Emily Banks next. She was selected to play uh, Yeoman uh, Tanya Barrows. She began her career in modeling to pay off uh, tuition for schooling. Uh, she began. Uh, she began, you know, doing uh, making enough money that she was like, "Oh, maybe I could do this for a while." Uh, she w- she became um, Miss Rheingold, which is really funny because uh, uh, Miss Rheingold is a reference in Forever Plaid, which is a show that I've done uh, three or four times. So it's funny that Miss Rheingold, and now I have an idea of what Miss Rheingold actually looked like here. <laughs> uh, she started doing ads for beer and then soon from these commercials, you know, uh, would uh, get a few uh, acting gigs. Uh, of course, she's lovely in this in this episode. Uh, beautiful red hair. She goes on to become uh, a featured actress on the Tim Conway show, as well as episodes of Bewitched, where I'm like, does she place, you know, Samantha's sister or something? Because it's amazing how much she looks like. Uh, oh, that woman's name just dropped out of my brain. Elizabeth Montgomery. Thank you, as the uh, star of Bewitched. And uh, she would even uh, be doing uh, guest starring roles as far as uh, Fantasy Island and Knight Rider. So that's really getting us into the 80s. So So this part was originally written for uh, Yeoman Rand. Yes, it was. And then by the time they get around to shooting it, they have fired... Yeoman Rand, and now we're doing... Well, not only that, not only that, but there were actually story reasons why they decided to get rid of uh, Yeoman Rand in this episode, and it's because uh, originally... Oh, goodness, I wasn't using my earphones either. (laughs) Boy, man, we're just slopping it up today. (laughs) So there were actual story reasons why they decided to get rid of uh, Yeoman Rand in this. Uh, Part of it was because in one of the rewrites, the uh, that personal uh, thing that happens between Bones and the Yeoman originally happened with Kirk. Right. So right. they wanted to sort of like 
well, we don't want Yeoman Rand getting any closer to Kirk than, you know, we, we've already made her on the show. And so, you know, like the scene that happens at the beginning when, you know, the Yeoman's like massaging Kirk's back and all of that stuff. They're like, well, that's also kind of inappropriate workplace stuff. So let's not have that going on either. So uh, there are a lot of reasons to get rid of Yeoman Rand in this episode. And not only that, but then once they changed it to Bones to have the sort of love story happen between him and the Yeoman, obviously then they didn't want the audience going, I thought Yeoman Rand was with Kirk. Like, what's happening? Now she's with, you know, Bones? This slut gets around. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really the episode in which we, ex which we try out McCoy as a beloved main character. Right. So he's not getting, you know, top billing with with Shatner and Nimoy. That comes in season two. So here he gets, what is it now, his third love story? However many greats. Yeah. So one Sorry, of the things that's odd about Star Trek is that, you know, they, they do sometimes draw their ethnicities a little uh, kind of broadly or... Um, there's, you know, some stereotyping going on, right? Yeah. And they really focus on kind of the, the Celtic fringe. So, you know, our Scotsman, he's a real Scotsman, right? Yeah. Our Irishman, he's a real Irishman. I mean, he's got all yeah. the stereotypes. He's a fighting Irishman. Our, you know, we got a hard-drinking Scotsman. You know, we got we to gotta put our, our captain and everything, but the captain's got to have... You know, his, his robotic Vulcan buddy and his super emotional, you know, doctor buddy. Right. They kind of discover, they, they stumble into this power trio. Bruce Mars was the guy who plays uh, Finnegan in this episode, right? The guy who's running around taunting Kirk almost this entire episode. Uh, he would actually come back, to, uh, come back to Trek as the bewildered 20th century cop in Assignment Earth. So uh, <laughs> we'll be seeing him again. Uh, yeah, so, obviously, he could have been Finnegan again, but he could have been yeah. like the super great grandfather or something. Great great grandfather, super great great great. I don't know. However many greats. Yeah. So one Sorry, of the things that's odd about Star Trek is that you know they they do sometimes draw their ethnicities a little uh, kind of broadly, or there's you know some stereotyping going on, right? Yeah. And they really focus on kind of the the Celtic fringe. So, you know, our Scotsman, he's a real Scotsman, right? Yeah. Our Irishman, he's a real Irishman. I mean, he's got all yeah. the stereotypes. He's a fighting Irishman. Our, you know, we got a hard-drinking Scotsman. Uh, you know, it's almost like, uh, and then, of course, O'Reilly, right? Yeah. He's singing. <laughs> yeah. He's singing O'Reilly. <laughs> so, uh, it's interesting that, that, you know, they worked, they did so much of this uh, kind of stereotype humor with these characters that were all kind of on the, the, the Celtic fringe. So we as Americans would recognize them, um, wouldn't feel, you know, that a Scot, Scottish character or an Irish character was, was somehow in poor taste or um, right. making fun of this idea of, hey, this is a world ship and everybody's involved and everybody's welcome. I guess they were safe targets for a little bit of broad humor. Yes. Well, I, I, and it's funny, too, because, you know, they did none of that with Sulu. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah, they uh, played him straight. Mean, and Ahura, yeah. too. Played straight. Yep. yep, absolutely. I mean, he does run into a samurai in this episode, so yeah, maybe... But he doesn't, like, uh, you know, start talking with an accent or... Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or, you know, <laughs> none of that. Yes. Fair point. In fact, what we do find out about him is that he's a fencer. Yep. So, you know, and that he's a, he's got an astronomy background. I mean, so it's just like he's a regular botany guy. Too. Remember yeah. for a while he was in the Botany Bay? Haha, <laughs> the Botany Bay. <laughs> so as the uh, production dates actually, so they finally get the script all written out. Uh, things don't go well with uh, Theodore Sturgeon, as we have seen in the past. It's another one of those uh, things where the writer doesn't understand Star Trek or TV. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, has a bit of a butting heads there with Roddenberry. But as the production dates approached, 
Roddenberry now is, uh, this is about the time when uh, Gene Kuhn steps in and he's having his, uh, you know, bout of exhaustion. So he takes a break. He leaves behind a memo telling Gene Kuhn how uh, Stan Robertson felt that the script leaned too hard towards fantasy. Like Stan Robertson didn't like any of the uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland stuff. He wanted that cut. He just wanted it to like, let's ground it a little bit more. So anyway, Roddenberry writes out this big long memo, you know, explaining all of this to Gene Kuhn and goes on his vacation and then forgets to ever give the memo to Gene Kuhn. <laughs> so this really causes problems because uh, day one, they're out there shooting. They're shooting, they're shooting, uh, uh, you know, the bunny. They're shooting Alice in Wonderland in, in, you know, in her blue, you know, dress and everything. And, you know, uh, uh, Roddenberry gets back from his vacation and is like, wait, wait, what's going on? Oh, my God. So he literally, like, rushes out there and he's on on set writing up new, new. Sitting under uh, a tree. Yeah, literally, like, writing up <laughs> new stuff on his typewriter. It's funny because they're, like, I don't know, 20 minutes from their, you know, offices. So he's writing up new pages. But then those new pages have to be sent back to the offices so that they can, you know, mimeograph them all so everybody gets a copy and then they're rushed back to set. So they're literally like on the fly shooting all of this stuff as Roddenberry writes it, which is, you know, if you think about it today, that would just be like emailed or faxed, you know, it'd yeah. just be like, well, let's just send it back to there. They'll, you know, get it printed up at Kinko's, they'll run it back to us. Or actually they'd probably just have a printer on set is yeah. really what they would probably have at this it's point. Wireless, but. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they did a lot of like uh, shooting night for day. Um, it's not very obvious in this episode, but I know that there are there are episodes later where I will definitely be able to point out like, oh, they definitely that's that they that they shot that at night, but it's trying to be the day, or vice versa, because sometimes what they'll do is they'll like put a filter on and. and on the screen and so it's usually like a blue filter and even though it might be like you know six seven o'clock at night they'll try and still shoot it but you can still kind of tell like if you really know what you're looking for you can still kind of tell but anyway they use these giant arc lights to simulate day and they're just so they're shooting a lot at night too they're shooting until nine o'clock some nights there was the scene with the tiger remember this there's a tiger but what happens is is that there's supposed to be a scene where Kirk fights the tiger. And so like Shatner's all for it. You can just imagine, right? Like yeah, Shatner's yeah. like, oh yeah, let me fight the tiger. It's gonna be great. But then one day the tiger gets loose and starts like, you know, kind of running around, finds like some of its meat that was being saved for its dinner and just starts like tearing into it. Yeah. And at that point Shatner's like, you know, maybe not. Maybe we I shouldn't. Bet. I don't uh, wanna fight the tiger. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because Robert Justman the whole time, our, you know, line producer is like, uh, yeah, it's, we shouldn't do anything with the tiger. Maybe have the tiger off to the side. We'll never shoot anybody in the same scene with the tiger. Let's just leave the tiger alone. Yeah. And uh, obviously he was right. Mm -hmm. They also got an elephant. And so they have an elephant also brought out to the park. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, they never used it, which really irritated Justman because they paid for it. Like we're not, it's not even being put on screen. Why are we even That's spending right. the money on this thing? And then I guess it was a running joke. Uh, Justin, when are you going to use your elephant? <laughs> that would, oh, it's got to bug him. I can just imagine everything I've read about like what he's written, like all of his memos and stuff. I can just imagine him being so like pissed. I want to say Bruno Mars, but I know that's not his name. Bruce Mars, right? That's his name. Bruce Mars. Okay. Uh, is this to say about Shatner, right? He's like, uh, I know that a lot of people have, you know, complained about him, but I kept saying like, this guy's a really good guy. Uh, we had a couple of really good scenes together. And uh, during the fight, he'd say, oh, let's do this. Let's do that. And he's like, well, actually the camera will be over here. So you would look better if I did this. So, you know, like here's a, a time when Shatner's, you know, trying to make like, you know, for the good of the show, let's make everybody look good, including you. And we're going to we're going to really make this fight go uh, go all out. So kind of a cool thing. There's something that I it, it comes up a lot. The Shatner thing. Right? right. About like his ego and blah, blah, blah. We've talked about it a little bit on the show. I, I don't always want to get into it. There hasn't even been a lot in the book. There's been a little bit about it. 
but of course, I love Shatner, so I never want to like you know <laughs> disparage the guy or whatever. But it's true that some directors have found him hard to work with. But and certainly, this is probably more more true now than it was in the '60s. But a lot of times, the director comes in to an already working machine, right? right. It's like these actors have been on set, you know, uh, for at this point, you know, 12, 13 shows, uh, episodes. Um, when a director step is, steps into a TV show, the machine's already running and they kind of just give like, a, oh, well, we can shoot this like this and do this and this. You know, they've come in with some prep work done and whatnot. So the problem is, is what happens on, especially sets like the Enterprise, is that the director would be like, oh, I think we should shoot this scene like this and blah, blah, blah. And Shatner would sometimes step in and be like, well, you know, the problem with shooting it this way is that, you know, this light doesn't exactly work right or, you know, blah. There are these moments when Shatner would step up and again, in his mind, I'm sure, for the good of the show, is saying like, right. I don't know if you want to step it like that. And so then the directors sort of feel like, hey, this guy's stepping on my toes, you know? Right. Um, so, so in this episode, there's a scene in which, you know, Shatner doesn't, or Kirk doesn't want to go down to the planet and take his rest. Right. And Spock comes in and says, uh, there's a crewman who, uh, you know, down yes. 7%. He's uh, uh, showing signs of irritability and and Kirk's like, well, yeah. he's going to have to take some time off. Well, it's his right not. No, his, his uh, right stops when the crew's efficiency, you know, the ship's efficiency is at stake. Yeah. Even this man's name, he's scene. going to take a break. And then Spock says, like, he pretends like he's got to read it, right? Uh, it's, uh, yeah. who is that guy? Oh, yeah, Jim Kirk. And then he kind of smirks, right? Yep. And I'm like, where did that smirk come from? Right? So is that. Because it doesn't feel like Spock, right? Yeah. It certainly doesn't feel like Spock if you think that Spock is actually as emotionless as he pretends to be. Yes. And if he's not, then Spock's a big hypocrite who's kind of an ir irritating person with his high and mighty, oh, your human <laughs> emotions. But I'm going to smirk the first chance I get, Mr. You know. Um, so, and, and I wonder, is that because the director comes in and says, well, let's try it with a smirk. And, and Nimoy's like, Okay, I'll be a team player. Whereas Shatner would be like, no, my, my character, I'm an emotionless Vulcan. Don't you understand? Yeah. I wouldn't smirk. And the director's like, damn it, that Nimoy's so easy to work with, but the Shatner's a pain in the ass. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, very true. Uh, there was a, but where I was going next with this is like, there have been a few things I've read in the book where uh, Shatner might give another actor notes. Mm hmm which is not, I mean, as an actor, I know that that's a big no-no. I mean, it's one thing if an actor is like, hey, I'm having trouble with this line. You got any, like, ideas, something I can do with it? That's yeah. different. But, you know, when you got uh, Shatner again on set, like, uh, no, 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 you need to, you know, that needs to be this because then this will work for me and it'll be really great, you know. So this reminds me Maybe. of, because uh, you, you get a lot of the same complaints about Paul McCartney. Okay. Right? So, you know, toward the end of the Beatles, um, well, uh, like during the White Album, for example, um, uh -huh. McCartney had become such a perfectionist that he would want to like drum the parts for, you know, stuff that he'd written because Ringo wasn't yeah. doing it right. Or uh, he'd want to like play guitar. And so you'd have like, you know, George and, and Ringo getting pissed off and leaving, you know, like, well, screw you. Apparently, you don't need me. You're going to do all this stuff. And then, of course, you know, McCartney does do stuff like that. He's got three albums in which he, like, plays all the parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was a perfectionist. And, you know, so the stuff he would work on, especially when he had a good foil, someone who would tell him no, someone who would say, that's not good enough, work on this other thing. Um, so, like, George Martin loved working with him because George Martin was always was also a perfectionist. And George Martin was the kind of guy who could bring out McCartney's best stuff and say uh -huh. no to him and say, work on this, you know. And so, for example, when they were remixing, um, you know, later stuff, doing, like, uh, the anthology album, uh, George Harrison would refuse to, to work with him unless George Martin wasn't involved. Because the combination of George Martin and Paul McCartney was too much perfectionism, too much telling me what to do, too much, you know, like, like you're the guitar player here? I think I am, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's to a certain extent, as you're saying, you know, there's a legitimate 
you know, thing here. It's one thing when this is your album. It's another thing when it's the Beatles and we're all equally Beatles. Yeah. And I think uh, I think Shatner's got some of that kind of, you know, he he, he's, he thinks he's looking out for the show. He's trying to yeah. make the best you know thing he can make, and ends up irritating people around him. Yeah. But it's funny because so those I mean I've read those few where you know again people have said you know this is you know this guy's done this and blah 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 but you know there's also been just as many where people are like what no Shatner he was just fun like yeah. he's on set he's cracking yeah. jokes we're having a good time and again maybe some of this you know once we get into seasons two and three becomes very different maybe then we're really dealing with like a whoa all right all right chill out man you know like okay he's had enough of the show <laughs> maybe he's tired of it well, I think I think there's also like there's gonna be there's these probably both of those things, right? Right, and some people, you know, they get the well maybe if you delivered the line this way, have you tried doing it that way? Um, you know, and Shatner thinks, well, I, we're just working. I'm just like spitballing. I'm coming up with ideas. You know, yeah. you don't have to do this stuff. Hey, I'm just you know, it it just occurred to me. Yeah, and other people are like, haha, that's funny. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, let's let's try that, and then we'll like throw water balloons at each other again. That was great. <laughs> you know, so for some people, they're gonna you know take the notes and go yeah yeah whatever, and really enjoy Shatner's fun side. And then there are other people who are gonna be like, you gave me notes, yeah. I'm I'm insulted, and I frankly don't enjoy your hijinks. So you're yeah. just an idiot. Fair. But you know, and I don't know if you've ever heard it, but there is that audio out there the, from uh, Shatner. And of course, this is like older Shatner. This is like 1990 Shatner, where like he's making a game. It's a Star Trek game. And the guy's like going like, uh, no, no, no. That line needs to be a little more intense. And Shatner's like, you're trying to tell me how to play, how to play uh, Captain Kirk? I've been playing him for like 30 years. I know how to play Captain Kirk. Just let me do it. You know, and you're like, okay, buddy. All right. Sorry, man. I'm just... For the game, I need it to be a little more intense, but uh, I know how to play Captain Kirk. All right, all right. Sorry, man. So the editor had this to say about this episode. He said uh, he loved piecing this episode. I was fascinated with Shore Leave because uh, they talked of being in a, in a place where all your wishes were fulfilled. You know, they shot a lot of it with two cameras, and, and um, but the five-minute fight between Finnegan alone, you know, is, is, is almost a masterpiece of, of, of editing and it was their idea it was the editing team's idea to have like finnegan pop in and out because they just didn't film enough of the of him like running around the rocks and that kind of stuff where you know suddenly they literally had a scene where it's like well how do you get up there <laughs> you know what i mean mm -hmm. so then when they made it so obvious oh he's popping in and out he's here and now he's here and now he's here you know it was you know it, it, it's really a cool way to like deal with that especially when you're in a fantasy land i mean it's almost fantasy island going on right. in this place so the, sh the show goes into syndication for a long time and it gets cut for different kinds of syndication and some of the cuts were a lot less of finnegan and kirk fighting and you know they kept intact all the stuff with ruth uh-huh and there would be other you know stations that would you know they'd cut it a different way they'd like let's cut the ruth stuff you know, down to as little as we need. And we're just going to keep that beautiful fight scene. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> also, in the original uh, 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 broadcast version of this episode, this is actually the only time, too, we ever see the Enterprise going this way on the screen as opposed to going this way. Uh, they just took the regular special effect and they just flip-flopped it so that it looked like it was going the other way. They were like, we hadn't done it before, so we said, why not? Let's do it. Emily Banks, too, who plays uh, Yeoman uh, Barrows in this episode. She was uh, another one of those people who they were like, oh, we'd love to have you back. It'll be cool. You can keep playing Ensign Barrows. But uh, the production staff was like, what are we going to do with it? You know, like, are we going to then have an episode where, like, her and Bones, like, try to make it work and then they break up? I mean, can we just not ever mention it again? Is right. it just... Eh, so she never shows up again because <laughs> they just didn't know what to do with her character. Mm -hmm. That's one of the advantages of having like permanent writers. Yep. Because if you're having kind of, you know, name brand off the shelf talent come in and, and write an episode here and an episode there, then, you know, who has the idea that a couple episodes we have this interesting story with Ensign Barrows and 
or Yeoman Barrows, and it's you know time to bring her back. And I've got this great idea for you know uh, how this thing will be resolved, and you know it's it actually hinges on this big story, and right. But you know when, when you when all you've got are like a bunch of every writer's a different guy who like all they know is their own story, because yeah. you're you're basically you're an episodic TV show. There's no way to do that, even if even if you wanted to. So, uh, you know, I, I got nothing else left to talk about behind the scenes. I got one or two things at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the episode to talk about, mostly how much more debt they're in. But until then, I say, let's get to it. Captain's log, starting. It's five-year mission. So we start off on the bridge here. We're uh, waiting to hear from an away team. Kirk's kind of like uncomfortable in his chair. He's kind of like, ah, oh, I'm back. Got a little, got a little crick in it there. And uh, so this is then, as we were saying, where the yeoman then goes and starts like rubbing his back. But Kirk doesn't assume that it's the yeoman who's rubbing his back. He's assuming it's Mr. Spock, which I think <laughs> is a little bit weirder. Because why would Spock be like, hey, let me get in there for you, Captain uh, Jim, is this feeling good? You got like yeah. this? Yeah, it's not like they established, you know, some kind of Vulcan massage practices. <laughs> Although it makes perfect sense, though, doesn't it? <laughs> They do meditation. They got all the other pieces. <laughs> Captain, we call this uh, massage technique the cartra. <laughs> uh, anyway, he makes the yeoman stop and is like, okay, that was weird. Like, he gives Spock a look like, okay, whoa. That was <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Um, <clears throat> uh, down on the planet, McCoy is... Uh, is uh, walking with Sulu. They're talking about like, oh, this is like the most idyllic place you could possibly imagine. Mm. Uh, this is, uh, you know, just like a, how I kind of remember Earth being. And uh, he's like, you know, it's almost like you'd see, uh, oh, I don't know, like something you'd see out of Alice in Wonderland. And Sulu then decides he's going to go and like check the cellular structure of uh, the blades of grass and the and the 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 some plants that are growing near and just as he walks away sure enough we see a a a, a bunny hop by holding a watch saying how late he is and it's this <laughs> and it's 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 this guy doing almost an imitation of um ah dang it that actor's name who suddenly just went out of my brain but he's doing the oh i am so late aren't i <laughs> guy that famous guy who does all those voices anyway yeah. so that guy runs off <laughs> the, the guy and next that, that he also is the guy giving the announcements in the episode uh, um you know team b assemble for transport but he's that guy too oh is it yeah he did both <laughs> well that makes sense he's doing voiceover work that's right so um a moment later, then, we see Alice in her blue dress, and uh, she goes and then runs off after the bunny. So this is funny because I was thinking about this. Like, this kind of just proves how, like, Disney-fied our culture has become, right? Is because, you know, I, I don't know if it's this way in the original book or not, but we got uh, this Alice in basically the exact same dress that she's in in the, the cartoon, right. right? The Disney yeah. cartoon. And the bunny, the same thing with the stopwatch and the overcoat and everything. It's kind of like, like has Disney taken over the, the fairy tale? Is that what's happened at this point? Well, I guess until uh, uh, Johnny Depp and uh, the other guy. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. So they come along. Uh, Tim, yeah, Tim, Tim Burton. Burton. Yeah. Because yeah. that is totally a different... Uh, take on the fairy tale yeah that's a seriously different take on the fairy tale so it's funny too because then after they disappear into the shrub like we get this music that's like literally like dun 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 you know it's been all this like crazy like whimsical <laughs> stuff happening and then all of a sudden it's like oh my god a bunny you know <laughs> well it's certainly what the music sounded like to me i don't know about you <laughs> I can't hear the music. <laughs> I, I forget. I forget you can't hear the music. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's what it was doing. I promise you. 
So uh, then we go into the opening credits. We come back from the opening credits. And sure enough, uh, star date. 3025.3. You know, we even in the voiceover, we have to show how Kirk is sort of like losing his... His edge, know, yeah. yeah. his edge, exactly. Um, uh, three, um, yeah, yeah uh, point three. So uh, this is then the scene that you know you were talking about here. Spock enters. He tells us that on uh, he doesn't need shore leave because on his planet to conserve energy is to relax and not to run up and down a field. So then uh, Bones calls in. He tells them about uh, the girl and the bunny. Kirk thinks that this is uh, a ploy to get him down to the planet. You know, ooh, it's a mystery. Come on down. Kirk says he's not falling for it. Then we have the scene you described earlier of Spock, you know, talking about a crew member who's lost his reaction time and blah, blah, blah. So uh, Spock then tells him, enjoy yourself, sir. <laughs> on the planet, on the planet then, we're back down on the planet and we see this stone move to uncover a, a six-shooter. Which is funny here because you and I have talked in the past about, you know, Chekhov's gun and how, uh, you know, like we're planting the seeds for when this gun will be used again. But then the gun doesn't really get used again. No, it's, it kills like, the knight. Oh, their that's right. Their phasers are drained of energy and there's no weapons to fight the knight except for this handy gun that I'm happy to hold. Yes, exactly. You're right. Uh, it's why you should always have kinetic weapons, not just energy weapons. That's right, exactly. We find all too often that the uh, the phasers are so easily shut down. And, you know, gunpowder would work in space because the oxygen is actually in the mixture. Ooh, there you go. Information you didn't know. Now you do. So Kirk beams down to the planet here with this yeoman for some reason. We find McCoy, who shows, uh, who shows him the giant rabbit prints. Uh, he's like, oh, well, these, uh, Kirk's like, oh, these, these really do, uh, mean something's going on here. Uh, he calls up, he cancels shore leave. He tells everybody we're on hold. Uh, Bones is like, you're going to cancel shore leave because of this. I feel silly. And he's like, well, can you explain what's happening here, doc? Obviously McCoy can't. So, uh, Kirk then puts shore leave on. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then we hear a gunshot ring out. Oh no. So then they run off to find the, uh, where the gunshots coming from. Kirk and Bones and the Yeoman run towards the sound, only to find Sulu here is just like firing randomly. Uh, target practice? Uh, I don't know. He then tells us how a gun works, which is really nice. Uh, which isn't for the audience so much, I guess, as for the people on the show. I think it's. Um, I think one of the things is, is is like he's got to explain it because it's we're so futuristic. You know, it's like I've got to explain how like vending machines work. <laughs> well, apparently the ancient people would put coins in here and then make the selection by pressing a button here. And look, it spins and the food falls. Right, And I get it this way right here. Look at that. <laughs> wow, ancient vending machines. Well, and we get a little of that later, too, when, you know, the, the, the one guy's describing what planes are. Remember what I was telling you about the war that they used to have here and the old flying, flying contraptions that they used to fly around in? <laughs> Like, again, this is not for us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so, when they so, talk about the ancient West in Next Generation. Right. Yes, exactly. The ancient West. We're going to a place called Colorado. Ooh, never heard of it. <laughs> Silver mines. Ooh. So uh, Sulu we, and the Yeoman separate. The silver? No, it's a form of money. Oh, <laughs> So Sulu and the Yeoman separate. Uh, we follow Bones and Kirk as they go back to the blade. And then we see like this, uh, there's something watching them. It looks like an old like aerial antenna that people <laughs> used to put on their TV or something. Yeah. I'm sure that's where they got it too. It's like just grabbed yeah. one off the TV in, in Roddenberry's office. He's not using it. Yeah. And it's so obvious that they just put it in front of the camera and, and like follow them with it. You know, it's like... So anyway, we hear Kirk. Uh, we hear Kirk now. A little bit of his backstory. He used to get picked on. Apparently, that doesn't sound like Kirk to me at all. But anyway, he used to get picked on back at the academy by a guy named Finnegan. Kirk and Bones now split up because they found some more tracks from the bunny oh, and the little girl. I do oh, find so he does say like, "Oh, I was, I was definitely serious." 
which I, I could believe from a young Kirk, right? And so I, I can imagine that kind of, uh, you know, and this goes back to our Kirk is really a, a guardian, not an artisan. Uh -huh. So, you know, young super guardian Kirk was like, no, I'm taking school very seriously. I'm going to excel and work very hard at my studies. And then you got like some artisan guy who's like, oh, I'm just going to have fun. This is great. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have fun by poking fun at, at Mr. Serious here. Mr. With a bunch Serious of pranks. Kirk. Yeah, because it's like half the fun is watching Kirk's reaction, you know, as opposed to like watching the bucket fall on his head or the whoopee cushion or you yeah, know, yeah, whatever yeah, it yeah. is. It's like it's actually more fun to watch Kirk go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so uh kirk and bones now split up uh following the tracks like i said kirk backtracks to find the girl maybe she's got a house nearby or something let's see what we can find bones goes off to follow the bunny but again as soon as bones disappears something happens kirk runs into finnegan oh no finnegan walks up and then just punches old kirk in the face ah come on hit me he says hit me it's what you've always wanted it's just like Sulu and the gun. Ooh, I've been wanting this. It's an old antique I don't have in my collection. But then suddenly a girl screams. It's the yeoman. Kirk takes off running and Finnegan's behind him going, oh, run away, will you? Ha, why don't you come back and hit me like you always wanted? So uh, Kirk and Bones find their uh, find her dress is torn. They find her. Her dress is all torn or her, uh, her uniform. Uh, she says that the man who attacked her had cloaks and a dagger with jewels. <laughs> oh, well, are you sure you didn't imagine this, says Kirk? And I'm thinking, like, look at her dress. Clearly, she didn't do it. Do you think she just, oh, tore it up herself or something? <laughs> or she bumped into a, a stake that caught her dress. She's like, whoa, that, that must have been a man with a cloak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, Don Juan says, well, that sounds, for some reason, says, well, that sounds exactly like Don Juan. And then the yeoman puts but, it together. McCoy like, says for Don Juan. He said Don Juan says. <laughs> oh, he did? The other way around. Strike <laughs> that. Reverse it. Thank you. Yeah, like, why Don Juan? Like, oh, a man yeah. with a cloak and a jewel dagger? That's got to be Don Juan, right? Yeah. Can't be just some kind of random thief, you know, the robber bridegroom or something. Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Yeah. Good. So, uh, but the yeoman then puts it together and she's like, well, you know, that's weird. I was walking around just thinking about somebody that I'd like to meet, like, like, uh, like, like the Don Juan. And, and then he, he showed up. It was weird. So, uh, I think they're all sort of trying to, they're starting to put it together now. They get it. Bones decides he's going to stay with the yeoman and Kirk goes after, goes off to find Sulu. We see the antennae again. He runs after Sulu, but he's not using his tricorder to try and find him for some reason. But then suddenly he sees a flower, and the flower gives him memories. And then the music changes and becomes all romantic. I heard and then there's music. Ruth. What? I heard this music. Oh, okay, good, good. Because <laughs> it totally changes the mood. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we hear the romantic music, and uh, Ruth is there now. And she hasn't changed one bit. Commercial. And Finnegan hadn't either. I mean, this is hardly like, you know, 40-year-old Finnegan. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was even... But I don't also don't think that he necessarily looks like 18-year-old belongs in the Academy Finnegan either. Yeah, well, I, I wonder how many times Finnegan flunked out with his prankster attitude. <laughs> his shenanigans. His buckets over the half-closed door. Finnegan, you're never getting out of the Academy with this kind of grade work. I'm too busy playing pranks on the underclassmen. Well, you're fun to have around, Finnegan, so we won't kick you out. <laughs> you're really loosening up some of these kids. Look at that Kirk kid. Uh, look what you did to him now. He's a barrel of laughs. Would he, would he ever have pulled a Kobayashi Maru if it hadn't been for Finnegan? Uh, hey, good point. That's actually a, a fine point, sir. We come back from commercial uh, Stardate 3025.8. My communicator doesn't work, and the tricorder doesn't either. But someone from my past is here. Ruth! Ruth! So he talks to Ruth for a Ruth. minute, trying to catch up. Why are you here? What are you doing? It doesn't matter, all of a sudden That's right. And all of a sudden, his communicator works again. All of a sudden. And we hear from Bones, then from Rodriguez. 
Kirk tells Rodriguez, uh, well, the instruments must be wrong. Rodriguez says, we haven't had any proof of that. Let's, uh, should we all meet together? And uh, Kirk tells him very distractedly, like, yes, yeah, let's all go meet back in the glade. Uh, he then leaves Ruth. But now Spock calls, saying that he's getting interesting readings coming from inside the planet. Ooh, and it's draining the Enterprise's power sources. Kirk now runs off. We get back to Bones and the Yeoman. And, so uh, is this like a, a Las Vegas casino where, like, you can never leave? And there, there, you know, there are no clocks on this planet. Right. You don't need windows. Maybe they're pumping in oxygen. I was going to say, or those plants are making it. Yeah. So all you got to do is, like, drain your ship so he can't leave. It's like, well, we're going to stay here. It's a paradise. So uh, we see the antenna again. It's listening in on uh, Bones and the Yeoman. And, and I'm not going to lie here. Bones is practically throwing himself at the Yeoman, right? Because, yep. uh, you know, he's talking about, uh, 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 oh, uh, you wish you had, uh, you were a princess, huh? There'd be a lot of knights throwing themselves at you, including me. I'm like, okay, all right, buddy. That was a little too obvious. But just mentioning the princess, suddenly a princess gown appears with the veil and everything, like she described it. So I wonder here, too, because there's clearly an age gap going on here between oh, yeah. Bones and uh, the huge. yeoman. And, yeah. I wonder uh, how uh, viewers at home in the 60s are feeling this. That's a good question. Although, you know, uh, so you, you do get a lot of these stories like, uh, uh, was it 1955? I think Crosby and, and Grace Kelly. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a, they were like 25 years apart. I think Bing was twice her age. So, uh, you know, you do get those. Where... Yeah, but you know, also too, I could see like your average like 1960s housewife going like, well, those are those actors for you. You know what I mean? Well, you could also uh, see, you know, like a, a, you know, a Bing or an older Sinatra or whatever, you know, the per, kind of perennial appeal. Yeah. I think Sean Connery had appeal, you know, he was like 70. Yeah, very true. Whereas uh, it does seem to be this uh, terrible age bias against the ladies. Going the other way, exactly. Well, now we got cougars, so it's a, it's all a thing now, man. So uh, anyway, Bones here uh, convinces her to put on her princess dress. She says, uh, okay, I'll put it on, but no peeking. And he says, <laughs> when I peek, madam, it's in the line of duty. <laughs> See, because he's a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny then, line. Uh, yeah, it's great. I love it. Uh, his communicator buzzes. And it's Rodriguez telling him uh, Kirk's order to rendezvous. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, he mentions a tiger. And then they see a tiger. Oh, my God, it's so scary, this tiger, which suddenly just turns around and wanders off and doesn't <laughs> do anything scary at all. It certainly doesn't eat his meat. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Because that would be frightening so, to be old. Yeah, right? Uh, so then the yeoman comes out in her princess gear and, uh, we go, uh, up to the enterprise where Spock is, you know, trying to figure out what's happening down on the planet. Kirk demands uh, answers from his science officer, but, uh, science officer says we can't figure it out. Then Sulu sees a samurai and runs away into captain Kirk, but their phasers, they don't work. And then Spock beams down. Yes. The energy was low, but Spock decided that uh, being down on the planet, he could do a lot better than being up on uh, up in the up Perhaps in the Enterprise. I to mention they are at Kirk's Rock. Oh yeah, they are. That's right. We didn't talk about that. I can't remember the name of this place now. Have we been <laughs> here already? I don't know. Doing this out of order now. I don't even know if we talked about this place yet or not. We talked about it in one of the episodes, and this may have been it. <laughs> <laughs> so true. What is the name of that? I'm looking it up right now. I'm Googling it. So uh, as you travel from the L.A. basin into the, you know, the, the large valley, central valley in, in California, you're going to cross this, this range of mountains and go through this pass. There's this beautiful park up, up in the pass. Yeah. And it was close enough to the studio 
that they didn't have to pay for dinner and a room for the actors. Right. They would be expected by, you know, uh, the guild rules. You guys were close enough, you could go home. Yeah. You know, eat dinner at home, <laughs> sleep in your own bed. We're not paying for, for anything. And yet it doesn't look like it's in L.A. It looks like nope. it's something, you know, weird and different. Vasquez rocks. There you go. Vasquez rocks, of course. Uh, many things have been uh, filmed out there. Some parodies of uh, of Star Trek have been filmed there, of course. Uh, most notably, um, uh, man, me and the names aren't remembering anything today is bad. Uh, that movie with the guys. <laughs> Free Enterprise. That's the name of that movie with uh, Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner in it. They do a couple of shots there. And then I think the cable guy, maybe I know that they do. They've got the music from, uh, from a muck time where they're fighting. I know they've got that, uh, that song in there anyway. Yeah. So we, they, we digress. They shot here a lot. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, of course, lots of people did. So, you, you know, it's not hard to find, uh, you know, episodes in which, you know, there's something like, I'm going to say, 40 movies have been here. Um, of course, lots of Star Trek. So the 2009 movie, Generations was shot here. Boy oh, really? Home had a scene here. Yeah. Uh, you know, but then you also get 1 million BC, My Stepmother's an Alien, the Muppet movie. <laughs> um, you know, Hail Caesar, the 2016 movie came out yep. here. Um, With Alden Ehrenreich from yep, Don yep. Solo. Mm -hmm. Jingle All the Way, <laughs> Joe oh Dirt. My gosh. Joe Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> those Greg, quality of those movies started to go down. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> and just like all kinds of TV. Because again, yeah. they could do this on the cheap. They could get, you know, a different look, and they didn't have to pay as though they were leaving LA because basically they weren't. And I think too that they didn't even have to pay for food, like because right. that they were like close enough that they could be like, "Well, you get an hour. Good luck." <laughs> <laughs> I hear there's a Denny's down by the ranger station. Exactly. <laughs> So Sulu also mentions at this point that they're stranded, right? Uh, the that whatever the energy source is down below is draining all the stuff, all the energy from everything in the uh, Enterprise, all the tricorders, all the phasers, all that energy is being uh, absorbed somehow. So now they are basically stranded on their planet until they can find out what is going on. Back to Bones and his little fling going on over there. Uh, he hears something, then nothing. And then tells the princess not to be worried. Your night is here, he says. Again, just laying it on so thick. It's crazy. We cut back to Kirk and Spock and Sulu, who hear a tiger, and then uh, spread out. Back to Bones, who then sees uh, a black knight approaching. Just then, Kirk and Spock arrive, just in time to see Bones killed by the Wait, knight. You, what? You get this, uh, this thing where like, he's going to try out. I think it's an illusion. Maybe if I just actively disbelieve it, it's all a mental trick. Which, you know, how many times have we seen these mind-controlling aliens where, you know, once you, once you disbelieve their stuff, you know, so like in the, in the pilot, in the cage, right? Right. They make you believe stuff. None of it's real. He shoots. He's like, I, you know, I've been shooting at that glass for, you know, two minutes. I'm going to strangle you unless you let me see what's real. And you see the, you know, hole and smoking right. hole and oh, yes. they shoot that giant phaser at that mountaintop you know where the door was and well we can't tell if we blasted the top off that mountain or not because and then later on <laughs> like they did they totally blew the top off the mountain so mccoy's thinking maybe it's one of these scenarios so i'm gonna stand in front of this mm -hmm. thing and disbelieve it <laughs> oops oops <laughs> Spock uh, tries to fire his phaser, but it doesn't work. But hey, as you called, the six-shooter sure does. They fell the night and run over to Bones, who's still dead. And the omen cries. It's my fault. It's my fault. Exactly. Uh, you know, this is quite a moment if you think about it, right? 
This is a, a hero on our show dies. This isn't like, you know, Buffy or Breaking Bad, right? Where you kind of expect one of the regulars of the show to die on a, on a fairly regular basis, yeah. right? This isn't Lost or, you know, something like that. It's like 1960s TV. Your heroes don't die in 1960s TV. Wait, Opie got hit by a car? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, we go to commercial on the death of Bones. Back from commercial. Bones is still dead. The yeoman can't handle it. It's my fault. She says, it's my fault, Black. And, and she's going on and on. And Kirk, like, even looks at her at one point, like, what is, what, what are you, are you, is this real? Is this really happening? And then finally he picks her up and he shakes her and he says, hey, I need all my, uh, I need all my uh, crew members thinking here. I need you to be back. And she automatically, like, snaps to it. She's like, yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know, I know how to behave like a crewman. Uh, yeah. I was... Yeah, so temporarily she, uh in the moment she was in the, the moment. side of my sulu now who has been examining the night it's a mannequin or a robot or it's some sort of skin that they use to fix wounds apparently of some kind and it's all the things of the same basic structures everything we've encountered on this planet it's all the same polymer and it acts just as pleasant or as deadly as the real thing, says Spock. Rodriguez now was poorly thinking of the crazy airships from an early war and begins to describe dumbly a strifing run, which the plane then does. Will it hurt us? Only if it does a strafing run. Then <laughs> <laughs> McCoy disappears, as does the knight and the horse. They're suddenly all gone. Spock asks Kirk what he was thinking about when the strangers appeared. And he then speaks again of the Academy and Finnegan. And Finnegan appears again. Kirk decides he's going to follow him. Finnegan then keeps magically appearing everywhere. Boom, on top of a mountain. Boom, alongside him. Boom, sort of laying, half sleeping on it. Kirk <laughs> uh, says he wants answers. So Finnegan jumps him. At least it's... <laughs> At least it's supposed to be Finnegan. And a guy in Kirk's yellow shirt. It's really bad stuntmen here is what I'm saying. Either way, these two people are uh, fighting. Uh, Again, they fight up the mountain. We have to imagine that you are watching this on like an 8-inch TV, black and white, in the kitchen while you're making dinner. Right, exactly. With like, I think it only had like 40 or 60, your television only had like 40 or 60 lines. Yeah. You know, now we have 1080 you know, right. and but then you're like literally like, oh my gosh, through static yeah. and you know, a haze, guess, yeah. And like, if the neighbor's got his fan running, you know, you get interference or the lawnmower, <laughs> and you know, now you're watching in this gigantic home, you know, studio where you're like, I think that uh, Kirk's pants yesterday had uh, you know, three straps here, and you know, this one's got four straps. Uh, clearly, uh, this is an entirely different wardrobe he's wearing. Exactly. Uh, so they, uh, so Finnegan finally beats him and then taunts him. He's like, "I'm still a twenty-year-old man, Kirk." He says, "I, I, I doesn't look like he's twenty, but that's no, he doesn't. So that's what he says." Exactly. So then Kirk launches at him again, and then they fight down the mountain. Finnegan plays hurt and flips Kirk over. Kirk is now beaten. His shirt is torn. Uh oh, we know what it means when the shirt is torn. Sleep forever, says Finnegan, as we cut to commercial. We come back from the commercial just as Kirk wakes up. Finnegan is still there, ready to, to, to crush him. Kirk wants answers, but Finnegan just throws sand in his face, and the fight continues again. Uh, they both continue to fight, but they're, they're starting to tire. Even the music is, like, starting bam, to tire. Bam, bam, exactly. Bam, and then bam. he finally knocks out Finnegan again. I want answers. But Finnegan doesn't answer to plebes. I'm not a plebe. It's 15 years later. What are you doing here? And Finnegan says, being exactly what you expect me to be. Finn, uh, Finnegan then stands, and they exchange some more blows until finally, one last blow, Kirk knocks him out once and for all. Spock appears. Did you enjoy yourself? <laughs> I did. I did. I really did. <laughs> which, uh, which supports a theory of mine. 
says Spock. You humans are uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when Rodriguez thought of a tiger, we saw a tiger. Damn it! We gotta go, uh, we gotta go warn the others. But then a plane now is chasing them for some reason, though nobody thought about a strafing run with them. Anyway, boom, strafing run, it does, and then the samurai appears. Oh my goodness, so much stuff. And, That's because uh, Rodriguez thought, what if it strafes everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Rodriguez. <laughs> That guy needs to shut his brain down. <laughs> What'd you think of, Ray? I thought of the only thing that could possibly never hurt us. Oh, my God. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> so uh, the yeoman then is changing back into her uniform, which is now fixed for some reason. And then Don Juan appears again. And uh, Kirk tells them uh, not to think. Stand there at attention. Don't think of anything. Be blank. And then caretaker appears he tells them only now only now by the way folks does he not uh he realizes that they didn't understand the park and how it works he goes on to tell them that anything that they wish fear love or want triumph over will be provided for them an amusement park says spock and then he explains to people what an amusement park is you don't need to tell the audience what an amusement park is. We already know. Sorry. Uh, Sulu says, but with your advanced brain, why do you need an amusement park? To which uh, Kirk replies, the more expansive and intellectual the mind, the more it needs simple play. Simple play, huh? But what about the death of my crewman? He says. But then Bones appears with two, like, Vegas Show lounge girls, girls on his arm. Uh, and everyone is happy to see them including the yeoman, for like a half second until she goes, oh, you shouldn't have them. What about me? Uh, so she takes his arm after a brief explanation about a cabaret that uh, he went to on uh, Rigel 2, which I guess was the big uh, big planet to go to before... Uh, before Rigel. Uh, I mean, uh, Risa. Risa, thank you, yes. But who are you? Asks Kirk. Your minds are not ready to understand, he says. Kirk then calls, tells them Shore Leap is back on. And he's like, uh, Spock says, well, I will go back to the ship. To which Kirk says, no, no, uh, why don't I? And then he sees Ruth. Stay for a couple more days. Which, uh, which we have to wonder about. Uh, you know, is this something you should do? Like... If you suddenly, you know, had the chance to spend two days not with the real uh, ex-love affair of your life, but instead a phony version of the ex-love of your life, is that something you should pursue? That doesn't seem like a very good idea for me. That's just going to stir up all sorts of emotions inside you while, uh, while not really offering any... I don't know, maybe it would offer some closure. Who am I to, who to speak? Still think it's not a good idea. That's what I say. Uh, and then we go back to the ship for uh, the cheesiest of all endings so far. Where uh, Spock comes up to them and says, uh, well, did you gentlemen have fun? To which uh, both Kirk and Bones reply, <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> to which Spock replies, most illogical. <laughs> oh, oh, <Spock>. <laughs> 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 All right. Ahead of War Factor One. <laughs> <laughs> they do like to end up laughing on this show, don't they? I know, and that was like the most because that wasn't even funny. It wasn't even like vaguely funny. You know, at least sometimes you get like a dumb little joke or something, but yeah. you're just like, what? I don't, are they, should they be laughing at that? <laughs> I don't even know what's happening here. Anyway, whew, that's the end of that episode. Jessamine's letter to Coon after uh, this was uh, finished and uh, finished and played was, I think that Shore Leave was probably one of the most entertaining Star Trek shows we have produced to date. I am probably alone in my period, but I'm telling the truth as I see it, says Jessman. 
And it needed to be one of the more uh, entertaining Star Trek shows produced to date because it cost enough with the reduced budget from Desi Lu at 185000 per episode down from the normal 193 Episodes such as Shorely would be few and far between because this one came in at $199,654, which would be over, whoops, no, I'm sorry, which would be uh, about $1.5 million today. Yikes. Wow, yes. Now, the cash, uh, the series cash surplus, thanks to the savings from uh, transforming our last couple episodes of, uh, of, uh, of the cage into the menagerie, has now dwindled down, though, to only $7,772. So, hey, being frugal, guys, keep up the good work. So, uh, if only they can keep it up. Somehow I suspect they can't. <laughs> Somehow I think you're right. <laughs> Well, what another fun episode that one was. That was a good time recapping that one. Um, anything else we didn't get to? Anything else we should have hit before we leave this episode, my brother? No, nope, I think we're good. All right, fair enough. Well, uh, I don't know what the next episode is. Come on. It's that one in space. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. <laughs> it happens in the future. Well, join us next week for the Squire of Gothos. That's going to be a really fun episode to talk about, I'm sure. I know, because <laughs> I've already done it. Uh, also, don't worry. We're, don't worry, we're going to get back to recording episodes on video before you know it, but we got a couple more. I think the next one we're doing, though, is going to be Spaceed. So uh, that's the perfectly appropriate episode for you to be able to watch on video. So, uh, hey, until then, go to iTunes. Look for us there. The brothers check them out. Find us on SoundCloud. That's another great place to hear us. Or uh, just go to our website, The Brothers Trick About. I always post there when the new episodes are up, so you can always find those at that place. So uh, that's all I got for this week. My name's Matt, and uh, as always, say goodbye from uh, Houston, my brother Ken. Live long and prosper. And uh, we will see everybody next week. Can't wait. Thank you.